We work together. If every office is doing well, then the firm does well. It's important that we look after each other. To do that, sometimes that means working collaboratively on our projects, depending on how it's being resourced um, and where the centers of excellence is, mm -hmm. where the experts are. And sometimes we need to import them, or we just work overseas and we use technology to really close that gap. So we do it on maybe 50% of our, our projects we're working with. Welcome back to the business of architecture and design, where we are joined again by our regular host, Isabel Tolland, director of Aileen Sage Architects, a practice she and Amelia Holiday established as their alter ego. Isabel is a highly sought after speaker and thought leader. We'd like to thank our launch partner, Zenith Interiors, which designs, manufactures and distributes leading-edge furniture for corporate and commercial environments. Zenith Interiors inspires organisations to excel. Thanks also to our supporting partner, Total Synergy. Synergy is cloud-based business and project management software for architects. It centralises your business and project information, giving you more time for design. Try Synergy free for 30 days at totalsynergy.com forward slash ADR. For this episode of the series, Isabel talks to Tom Owens, Sydney-based Managing Director of Leading Global Architecture, Design and Planning Practice, Gensler. And now, over to Isabel. Based in Sydney, Managing Director at leading global architecture, design and planning firm Gensler and a registered architect in Australia and the USA. Today we are joined by Tom Owens. Tom has over 20 years of experience throughout Australia, Asia and the Americas, spending 14 years at Gensler's San Francisco office before moving to Australia to help establish their Sydney office. Tom is integral to Gensler's projects at all phases, nurturing client relationships and mentoring staff every step of the way. We're delighted to have Tom in the studio with us today. Welcome, Tom. Thank you. It's good to be here. So perhaps if you could start by telling us a bit about your background. Where were you born? What was your family like growing up? And what drew you to architecture in the first place? Well, I was born in a small suburb uh, in Connecticut called Farmington. It was roughly 25,000 you know, inhabitants, and so it had a very small suburban feel to it. I grew up at a house on, on a cul-de-sac, so it was very... Um, very fun as a child growing up. I did play a lot with um, construction blocks and erector sets and things um, because I had this sort of fascination with building things. So that was that was a lot of fun. My family was quite small. There were f four of us. They were very supportive um, throughout my whole high school career um, until leading to um, making a decision on where to go for college. So do any of your siblings work in related design fields as well? I have an older sister, and as a matter of fact, yes. Um, she did find herself working for an architecture firm in Hartford. Right. Um, and that's where she still is now. So okay. she's one so of the marketing directors. No, she um, went in for a college for photography, ended up um, in a marketing department for the firm in Hartford. So you attended the University of Kentucky from mm. 1990 to 1995. What was your experience like at university? It was great, actually. I, I really enjoyed living away from home. And um, the University of Kentucky had a very interesting program. It was more of a dark horse school, so it was unknown to the greater architectural community, but it was still an accredited school. So it was really fun, based a lot on theory, 
our dean at the time was a um, past student of Le Corbusier. And so we had a lot of interesting stories and history um, there in the school. So we did learn a lot about the importance of modern architecture. Yeah. Was that a particularly influential um, teacher, did you find, during your time there? Oh, all of the teachers in that school were a bit again, theoretical, all based in theory and less in, let's say, architectural drawings. And so I came out of that school a lot with a lot more critical thinking methodology in, in, in lieu of actual drawing, you know, by hand. Because back then we were drawing by hand. So I had, right. you know, my graphites and my sharpeners and erasers and ink pens and CAD was just coming out. It was a very foreign thing. So it was a very interesting time. Um, because the 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 way we were being taught in school was shifting, I and mean, we could see that shift happening. So we were one of the last graduating classes without having to um, to learn how to use the electronic tools. Did you find that difficult then when you graduated, starting out in your first job? Where was your first job, and and did they appreciate that theoretical background, <laughs> or is that an impediment? It, it was um, it was challenging actually. It was it was a tough time on the East Coast, which is where I grew up. Um, there was no work, especially for young. Um, students outside of uh, out of school, and so I ended up uh, finding a job in Alameda, California, which is um, just outside of San Francisco, and um, it was with a small firm called MBH Architects, and they they focused on residential and also retail. Um, so I started with them as a job captain, working on a computer program that was called, wasn't even AutoCAD, it was called Eris, and it was designed for architects and designers. Um, it didn't take off, but um, it was a program that we used, and I learned a lot there. They were very helpful, and they trained me how to, um, how to draw and how to think th about things commercially uh, from beginning to end, from initial design concept all the way through construction, so I got a lot of experience there. So when you say small, how small was small? Um, when I left, there were roughly 150 people over three offices. So is um, that small? For, well, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds quite big too. <laughs> well, <laughs> at the time they were, uh, let's say medium, oh, okay. a medium sized office, uh, right. firm, medium sized firm. So did they grow much over the time that you were there? Up to 150 by the time I left. So roughly 75 when I started. Right. So the office I was in was roughly 50, maybe 45 people, um, which was a great size. And so there was a lot of work in the office, a lot of different types of work. And uh, so it was nice to see all of that happening around me. And then after you left that practice, is that when you started at Gensler? That's right. So I moved to San Francisco, across the bay, um, and started working for Gensler um, and in their lifestyle studio. And that was focused on retail. Um, and I became a pro project architect or, or job captain on retail projects that were happening in the office. And back then they had lots of really amazing commercial accounts with different retailers um, that were either designing things from scratch, meaning um, flagship stores or other you know rollouts and things like that. So it was a really good opportunity for me as a young architect to again focus and hone in on how to quickly and effectively and efficiently pull together a, a commercial set of documents that get our point across quickly. Um, and it was, it was a fascinating experience, and it, to me, helped me really understand the business of design mm. behind the beautiful designs that we create. The documentation is so important. Yeah. And so how big was Gensler at that time? Um, San Francisco was roughly 150 in to 200 in that office alone. We were probably... 1,500 to 2,000 people at the time, spread out over maybe 30 offices, right? 25 to 30 offices all over 
the United States, um, Japan, and the UK. And could you tell us a bit about the history of Gensler? When did it start? Who did it? Who's, who was it started by? Right. It was started in 1965 by Art Gensler. He and his wife and one other they sat and created a, a small office on Clay Street in uh, San Francisco, which is very close to the Transamerica Pyramid. If you're familiar with the city, so it's right in the heart of the city. Um, and they started something unusual, which was a design firm that was focused on an area of design that hadn't been focused on before. So commercial interiors, it wasn't a thing. It was more or less paint and a commercial uh, furniture vendor sort of coming in and creating space with mm. workstations, let's say. So they came in and said, hey, this is a real design opportunity. Let's look at this. And over time, it's grown into what you see today. And it wasn't because necessarily of the work. It was because of how art decided to run that business. The original founders still quite involved in the business? Art is still involved in the business. He still comes to work. He still is in San Francisco. I have to say that whenever I went to work, I was always a bit starstruck, as was some of my other colleagues, because it was pretty incredible to have him walking around the office and commenting on your projects and sitting down and learning more about what we're up to, because um, he was always very hands-on and very interested in what we were doing. Because again, to him, it wasn't about him, it was about us. It was about the everyone that was working at that firm and what we were about and what we were moving forward as a team doing collectively. Um, mm. So he's he was always very interested in what was happening around the office and around the firm. So how was your journey at Gensler from that time of starting off in the office to where you are today? Did you was there um, were there any particular mentors? Was Art perhaps a mentor of yours, or how how did you kind of progress through that practice? Art certainly was a mentor. But he probably didn't know it, <laughs> you know? But he probably did. But I did have some incredible studio directors who led by example. So they were very good at understanding, again, the design and why we were there and how passionate we all were about it, but also that we are running a business. And it's important for us to keep our eye on that as well. And mm -hmm. so it's not just about the design. It's about talent. It's about um, resourcing. It's about all sorts of different things, um, relationships, um, and how those all come together to create a successful business. So um, my studio director, Barry Bourbon, was an influential person. Scott Dunlap, who was the office director at the time, was now our regional managing director of that, of that region, was also very influential um, to me. And then later on, um, some other folks, which were very influential in my uh, most recent endeavor into, into um, Sydney and Australia. Could you tell us a bit about that um, journey to, to Sydney, setting up the office here and how that happened, why that happened? What was the background to all of that? Right. So I was, I was with San Francisco office for roughly 15 years before moving. And in that time, I um, obviously established some very strong relationships with people across the firm um, because we are, are very collaborative. Um, and so I did have a lot of support from um, the, the local senior leadership team in San Francisco and the Northwest region is what we called it, um, as well as some folks in the Asia region who had um, moved from the Northwest region to help grow the Asia region. So there was a nice connection between the two regions. I heard that there was an opportunity in Sydney to establish a, a new office and I wanted to be a part of that. So I put my hand up and said, hey, this, this might be a good idea for me to go there because, you know, I've got um, the Gensler knowledge and I have, you know, a good business sense and know how to put a set of drawings together. Let's see what would happen. So um, they thought it was a good idea. I was moving myself out there. So I said, why not? Let's do it. So they put a scrappy team together and um, the rest is history. 
So had you been to Sydney before that? I had well? once before. I did. And I spent about a week here. And that was a lot of fun. And it stuck with me for many years later. Just the reason why I've always considered Australia um, a really good option um, in case I had the desire to, to leave San Francisco, which was a place very near and dear to my heart. So it would have to be a really big deal for me to move. Um, and Sydney was that draw at the time. So it was a really, really great move mm -hmm. um, for me professionally and personally as well. Was that hard then to, um, it sounds like it was a relatively easy decision or something you kind of had um, pre-prepared yourself for to move your whole life from the US to Australia. Yeah, it was, um, it wasn't an easy decision, but it made a lot of sense. And I, um, again, had an amazing network of friends and colleagues in San Francisco and across the firm, um, but they were all incredibly supportive of this move. You know, except for your parents, of course, you know, you're just moving further and further away, but um, they understood. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, lots and lots of support from my friends and my network. And um, so it was very easy, actually, to come here and, um, and set up. Only four days left until the winners of IDEA 2019 are announced. If you haven't booked your ticket yet, and you don't want to miss out on the celebrations of the party of the year, then book your ticket now at idea-awards.com.au. How many of you were there when you set up here in Sydney? We were five, right. including myself, when mm -hmm. we opened. It was a good mix of interior design, brand, and retail, sort of food and beverage, and architecture, because I had architecture experience as well. And so it was nice to see the group moving on and off projects together, working in, in a very inter integrated way, um, which was very special, I think. Uh, smaller offices and practices are able to do that because you have no choice, right? And in a larger mm -hmm. office, it's easier to find yourself on an interiors team only, only working on interiors projects, and yeah. et cetera. But um, it... It was a really nice cross-section of design. And so for us to work together collectively and collaboratively on these projects was really fun and fascinating. And were they people that you found locally or that came over from other offices? Yeah, they were, they were all um, local Sydney right. siders, yeah. Do you, did you find that difficult, landing in Sydney and having to pull together an office? It was it was challenging to some degree, but there was um, I was also partnered with somebody here locally, um, and right. that was part of the deal, is that mm -hmm. we would have a, a very local presence um, in Sydney. And so we worked together to, to build from the five to what you see today. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say it was less hard to find the, those people because he was very good at at um, finding those people. And at right. the time, he had been working in Australia for a few years um, after um, have working have been working in um, our New York office for oh, okay. roughly a year and a half. So right. there was some connections there. So it made a lot of sense to partner us together. Yes. And it worked really well, right, in that respect. Great. Um, so the, the staff was really familiar to me, even though it was a challenge to understand i think the local nuances of mm. design and of codes and things like that that that's those are things you can learn over time um, right. but really bringing in people that understand the Gensler culture it has always been the the def defining factor of a successful you know new office and how big is the office now the office is 26 strong yep and again a good a good mix of of retail 
in hospitality, workplace, office building, consulting and strategy, as well as brand. And do you share resources between um, any of the other international Gensler offices? All, all the time. Right. Yeah. So what makes the firm successful is is how collaborative the culture is. And it's not about your office doing well and the other office doing well independently. We work together. If every office is doing well, then the firm does well. Um, is It's important that we look after each other. And so to do that, sometimes that means working collaboratively on our projects, depending on how it's being resourced yeah. um, and where the centers of excellence is, mm-hmm. where the experts are. And sometimes we need to import them or we just work overseas and we use technology to really close that gap. We do it on maybe 50% of our, our projects we're working with. What people kind from of all over. Well, your standard, your standard, you know, VC, your cloud-based, you know, drawing and, mm. and BIM modeling tools. Those are becoming increasingly important these days because of the need for clients to be working potentially 24 hours mm. a day, right? So when we're working here in Sydney, our team, let's say in London, um, who we were working with on a project recently, would take what we've done and run with it for the next eight to 10 hours. And then we would pick it up in the morning and mm. it, would do, it would go like that for till the end of the project. And and, and that could be very successful. You it know, seems to be quite properly. a benefit of, of having international offices or other offices in different time zones, mm. the fact that something can be handed on and yet yeah, just be worked on continuously when you do have kind of short timeframes or particular yeah. demands. It's an interesting way of working. Does the Sydney office work on international projects much or mostly local projects? I would say... Mostly local projects, but there are times where the need might be in another office in our region. For instance, we've had a fairly large project for um, a technology client in Singapore. It was an enormous project and it needed a much bigger team than that office was able to provide on such short notice. So um, our Bangkok office and the Sydney office helped the Singapore office complete the project, which took a number of months to Mm. do. Um, And so what was fascinating about that is not only were we working you know from here on their project but we also imported people to singapore to work there for a little while to get to know the team better and so that that team could experience what it's like living and working in singapore and understanding their culture a little bit better and how they work so we try to further tie things together that way Uh how big are the offices so how many um gensler offices are there globally currently Uh, there's 50 50. And in, is each office quite a different scale in a way, depending on the location? Yes, I would say so. The firm is broken up into regions and it's more geographical. Mm. Um, so there would be a, a Latin American region. There's the U.S. regions, which are which the U.S. is split into six regions due to density. Um, and then there's a European, Asia, PAC, um, Middle East and so when you're when you're looking at these regions, each region would typically have a hub office, and that office would be you know, 200 plus. Um, so for instance, in New York, it's over 700. LA is 65700. And, and then you've got all the offices around that, which yeah. would be of different varying sizes. Mm. And again, the, what, what the offices focus on, which determines the size, is the practice areas they choose to work. Let's say, for instance, in Los Angeles, entertainment's a really big thing there. It's a big mm-hmm. industry. So they focus primarily on entertainment and let's say government. And so the office expertise are built around those practice areas right? Um, and things grow. 
And then you have San Diego and, you know, Newport Beach and Phoenix and Las Vegas all around that supporting the region. But there's always that one hub office that kind mm. of is the engine that helps run the region. So right. in um, Asia, that for us mm -hmm. is in Singapore. So how big is the office in Singapore? Um, right now, I think it's closing in on 100. Right. Um, we are a new region. You know, mm. we've, we've been around for, Tokyo's been around for 20 plus years, but the region itself, the way it, it's structured now is relatively new. Mm. And so we are still growing and, and nurturing the offices. All of our offices tend to be on the smaller side in, in APAC than they do in most yeah. of the other, other regions. And do you see the office growing much over the next, say, five to 10 years? Sure. I do. That's it. That's kind of an ambition or <laughs> yes. a plan. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think. I think it's both. I think yeah. that um, you know, growth is inevitable if you're doing great work and you're enjoying what you're doing and you're staying true to your vision and your strategy. I think things just naturally happen that way. You know, unsustainable growth is not the goal. Growth right. for growth's sake. We're growing yeah. because it makes sense. We're growing because that's what the market is allowing and we're growing because that's what our clients are looking for. And you kind of specialize in the area of retail and workplace. Is that starting to broaden in this particular area or of the APAC area or um, are you kind of focusing on that still currently as your major growth area? I think that commercial workplace has always been um, a growth area mm. for the firm um, and especially the region. I think that especially in the other cities like Singapore, for instance, there is an enormous potential for growth in the workplace sector. Mm. Um, you just have to tap into it in the right way. And they have seen really amazing opportunities in that office. Um, very, very large projects because um, a lot of companies choose Singapore as their headquarters. So they have a lot of large scale floor plates and um, fit outs mm. um, that require enormous teams. And um, so it's, it's complex, but it's also very interesting and fun. Yeah. Do you find yourself collaborating much with local practices as well, being the um, sort of focus on fit out projects? Do you collaborate much with the architects for the overall building envelope? Uh, sometimes we do. If it's an integrated fit out, mm. let's say, I think that we will, we would um, certainly collaborate with the, the, building architect on that. Um, I would say less so on workplace projects, more so on office building projects or mixed use projects. We might be collaborating with other design firms mm -hmm. on those sorts of projects too. And we're not, we're not afra afraid to do that. We actually enjoy it a lot because we learn a lot from them. It's nice to just sort of understand another point of view yeah. on design. And so it's nice to, to have that collaboration. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So what was the experience like going from the studio director to the managing director at the Gensler office here in Sydney? Did that change the dynamic in the office? Um, I would say that the, not, not so much. The uh, studio director role is more business and operations focused, more inward focused, so to speak, on the business. And so I was um, in that role for, you know, three, three years plus. Um, so, which was great and I loved it. And managing director role was that plus looking more outward mm. um, and seeing and really looking at the business as a whole. And that was um, a shift in my thinking, but a natural progression mm. from where I was. I think that it was a necessary and natural thing mm -hmm. to happen. And so it's been a, a very interesting change for me. And I think the studio really embraced that Yeah. Um, because again, we're all... We're all in this together. Mm. Um, and so the direction of the office really depends on how we're all doing as yep. a collective whole. 
not just, let's say, me. So it was important that I focus on the vision of the office and how it relates to our overall vision mm -hmm. of the firm. And as long as we've established that and we've got our eyes, you know, set forward, then, you know, things, things really sort of took off. So in terms of when you set up the practice, you mentioned your partner, a local partner here that you joined together with. Do you both have very particular roles now as well as the business has been growing? Um, well, that has, that has since changed. Um, my partner has since moved on to another uh, business. Mm -hmm. And so that was part of the reason for the shift. Right. And, um, and those things happen. They happen, you know, frequently in business. Mm. So um, what was important, you know, is that we had a good vision yeah. Um, for the direction of the office, which, to, to be honest, hasn't really changed all that much. I think that the vision has always been a really good vision. It's very focused mm -hmm. on what our outcomes need to be. Um, and it's always based in, in design, of course. It's yes. understanding that and what our clients are really looking for. That's the most important thing. Um, and then if you have those things set, anything can happen. Thank you, Isabel and Tom. And thank you for joining us. Tune in next week to hear more about Tom Owens and his journey through the business of architecture and design. The Business of Architecture and Design podcast is produced by Joanne Davies, publisher of Australian Design Review and Architectural Review, Madeline Swain, editor of Architectural Review, and Niche Media. With thanks to our launch partner, Zenith Interiors, and also to our supporting partner, Total Synergy. For more information and links, visit the episode webpage and if you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and rate us.